This is the Movie Hall of Fame Class of Concert Films edition for Friday, May 29th, 2020. Adam Hall. Hey. Hey, hey. how you doing? I'm doing great, man. I'm just really excited to podcast today. (laughs) Yeah, I know. You've been blowing my phone up about how excited you are for this one podcast in particular. I'm not sure why, but, you know, you're just... Actually, I'm pretty excited. I can't can't hide my... uh, This is is all an act. I'm actually quite excited as well. (laughs) I mean, I don't want to toot my own horn or anything, although I've been (laughs) known to do that in the past. Frequently. But I think this is a pretty good idea. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You think this is... How good? Is it a top five? Is it in the top ten? Is that what you're saying? Well, we'll see how it plays out. But right now, like, I think it might be a top five podcast idea. I've okay. had. I think it's pretty lit. That's including why is this a thing? Yeah, I think. Wow. I wow, think. dude. Uh, you know, you, I don't know anybody as like cocky and unnecessarily <laughs> cocky as you and like in a snobby way too. That's you're the just, key. The word unnecessary is really the magic word there. I, yeah. I th- <laughs> it's like, wait, is he really being a showboat about this shit? It's a fucking concert podcast. You know, it is what it is. How are you feeling about the theme? You think it's good? Oh, yeah. A, a couple of movies here I've wanted to talk about in the past, but we never really had an excuse to. Although when we did 1984, I think I was a little upset with myself for not nominating Stop Making Sense. Okay. So making up for that mistake. Yeah. I, I think this is the right way to do it, though. Yeah, I agree. I think this is the right way to do it. Five nominees today for induction into the Movie Hall of Fame. They are Dave Chappelle's Block Party, Gimme Shelter, Woodstock, the Last Waltz and Stop Making Sense, all concert films in the purest sense. I think it's a pretty damn good lineup, um, and we'll talk about it in a moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to just get out of the way anything we've seen recently, and then we'll jump right into this, because I have a lot to say about these movies. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I saw uh, Extraction, that Chris Hemsworth vehicle action extravaganza <laughs> thing, which is, I, I was telling you about it, it's just John Wick you know, except it's like Black Hawk Down. Except you know? he's a blonde. And a bl- yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I wasn't sure if you were going to watch it or anything, but I have not uh, seen it yet. I haven't had a chance, but I, I do look forward to it. Yeah, it was good. It was a it was a lot of fun, and I I think um, in the wake of like action films that come out, it's <laughs> oddly one of the better ones. It's not a great movie by any stretch, but the action scenes themselves are just fantastic, and that's kind of expressed through the fact that it's, you know, directed by a stuntman. So mm-hmm. they know how to shoot, you know, good action movies. They just they just always have. So uh, it's it's not the raid. A uh, few movies will be the raid, but um, it's it's really good yeah, for, for what it is. It's really good. Um, and then I also saw that Natalie Wood documentary that came out. That was pretty good, too. Uh, OK, so where did this thing come out? Is it a Netflix thing? I think it's HBO. OK, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah. I didn't know a whole heck of a lot about Natalie, Natalie Wood aside from uh, Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice and the whole Bob, Bob Wagner incident, which yeah. they kind of go over. Um, what do you mean they kind of go over it? Like they go over it in like 10 minutes at the very end. And it's the, the movie is basically saying like, yeah, no, it's it's like the, the, the hoopla around that is total bullshit. And, you know, they interview. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like it doesn't make a lot of sense. Like if you look into it, that's basically uh, Natalie Wood got drunk and fell off a boat. Got it. You know, that's what okay. it is. See, I, I would prefer the conspiratorial documentary, I think. <laughs> you want the soaked in bleach of Natalie Wood? <laughs> yes, sir. 
Jesus Christ. <laughs> Soaked in bleach. I've never finished that. I'm just like, this is the <laughs> stupidest goddamn thing I've ever seen. <laughs> that movie's lit, dude. <laughs> I'm, I know. Awesome. Um, I also watched a Netflix thing. It's called The Lovebirds. I don't know if you've seen that pop up on your Netflix queue. I've seen it pop up. Uh, it looks uh, like like not my thing. Yeah, Kumail Nanjiani and Issa Rae star as the characters from Date Night. Essentially, it's just mm-hmm. Date Night. That's the movie. Except- I, I like. I like date night. You know? Yeah, date I like cool. date night too. Uh, it, you know, Tina Fey and Steve Carell were married in that movie. Camille Nanjiani and Issa Rae are just dating in this movie. But beyond that, the broad strokes are pretty much the same. It's like these two people get caught up in a criminal conspiracy and hijinks ensue. Um, the two have like really good chemistry. I, I like both of those actors. Um, I kind of just wish the movie was a little funnier or gave them the material to be funnier. Uh-oh. Uh, I mean, look, you could do a lot worse on a Saturday night, you know? <laughs> sure. It's sure, free sure. on Netflix. You could do a lot worse. Uh, I think it's for the better that this movie did not get released in theaters as mm-hmm. initially was the plan. Uh, Netflix yeah. ended up buying them out after the coronavirus uh, hit. So, yeah, I think this yeah. is the right avenue for the lovebirds, <clears throat> I would say. It just struck me as like a January comedy, and I'm like, uh-uh. right. no, thank you. Right. No, thank you. Right. It's exactly what it is. Not not bad, but not great. Um, I also uh, watched a, a movie called 20th Century Women from a couple years ago. I just popped it on on Netflix for some reason. Uh, Annette Benning, Greta Gerwig, Elle Fanning. Oh, yeah. The better Fanning. Uh, That's true, actually. Yeah, I think that goes without saying. Um, Billy Crudup also in the movie. Oh, really? It, really good. Yeah, definitely not your thing, but definitely my thing. And I loved it very much. <laughs> cool yeah it's a bunch of people just talking about their feelings and i know how much Uh, you love movies like that oh that sucks actually fuck that movie (laughs) yeah i like like two movies about that you know and that's about it (laughs) yeah no they all the all these characters did was talk about their feelings and as a man that likes listening to people talk about their feelings i was very much into it um you gotta go to more plays (laughs) yeah definitely well, not now, but eventually. Yes. <laughs> uh, and then I watched Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which I will keep this conversation to a minimum because I don't think either of us have anything too nice to say about the movie. I think like the movie is totally fine. No, um, I, I think it's a good movie. I yeah. think there's a lot of great craft there. And I think um, not a bad script, uh, a pretty decent work of direction and production design on all fronts. In terms of like craftsmanship, like I said, it's pretty great. Um, like, like the, just like, oh boy, I, it was a lot of like, like moonlight vibes. <laughs> In terms I, I of, think moonlight is way better than this movie. No, uh-uh, I no? don't think so. No, it's about, it's about, it's pretty close for me. Um, I, I just mean, okay, it, let me, let me put it this way. It's a lot of third act of moonlight vibes. <laughs> I love the first act of Moonlight, but then it they just slow down and have a 40-minute conversation in a diner and I'm like, "All right, I'm out." Well, the movie is even even more laid back and I was telling you like I I mean, I like my slow movies, but I like them as long as they're engaging and they're rich in in the time they're taking and it feels like the the movie couldn't be told if it wasn't taking this time. Yeah. So 
And if the movie can grab me in that way, which, you know, again, movies like The Shining do very, very well, which I would describe as a very slow movie, but just like, oh, you get to... It, it, I mean, that doesn't... also has, like, twin girls slaughtered no. with, a, with an axe in a hallway, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It, it, yeah, but it also has Scatman Crothers walking down the hallway for, you know, like, 50 seconds. Hell yeah, it, it does. In an unbroken shot and stuff like that. <laughs> that happens many times. Also but has him under two poster, posters of naked ladies in his yeah. bedroom. My point is, <laughs> that movie doesn't exactly let go, and it always pays off quite well. Right. Um, yeah, and I just, I I really appreciate the craft and, and, and the performances as well, uh, yeah. to a degree. Um, it's just, like really really dull storytelling in my opinion kind yeah of reminded me of brokeback mountain as well oh in a lot see, of stop it <laughs> stop just naming all the gay movies you've ever seen and comparing I prefer them they're brokeback not the same mountain. they're not oh. even close dude i said i prefer brokeback it's mountain not, it is Don't... not even close i'm just saying the story kind of reminded me of it in a, in a weird that, way yes two members of the same sex having sex no with each other. Stop. Yes. i'm not talking story. about that there are many like instances and conversations in the movie that kind of reminded me of it and whatnot. Just explain to me how you've come up with two comps for this movie about lesbian lovers and both of them are movies about gay lovers. It's it's a total coincidence. Yeah, okay. That's, sure. Yeah. No, I, I think like the movie is good. Uh, there are some shots in it that absolutely astounded me. Um, mm-hmm. the, the shot, obviously, that's on the poster of the lady on fire is awesome and it'll be etched in my memory forever there were a few other shots like when the two of them were looking into the ocean on the cliff and Mm -hmm. one of them looks at the one person and they sort of fall back behind the other so they're obfuscated from the camera um it, it just a lot of like really clever visual filmmaking um and i appreciated those moments i thought it was strung together with uh a lot of dullness in between um i also think yeah the script is good there are some really good lines but um i don't know it's a lot more on the nose than people are giving it credit for like when the woman the woman goes and gets the abortion the young girl and like she's laying there and and a, a baby is sitting next to her holding her hand like i don't know a little on the nose right of like the regret that she's feeling in that moment I just think the movie thinks it's a lot more clever than it actually is. And I think the audience especially thinks it's a lot more clever than it actually is because people adore this movie. Well, this is a, this is another example. I, I love the closing shot, too, by the way. Yes. That's a great, great close. Again, it, I hate to say it. That closing shot left me thinking of uh, <laughs> I want to say it so bad. <laughs> I like this running gag. What? Uh, it reminds me of the closer of Call Me By Your Name. Just a little bit. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You're a horrible human being. (laughs) I'm so sorry. You're a horrible human being. (laughs) I'm getting off of this. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I know people love it. I don't want to rain on anyone's parade. People have gone nuts for this movie. I I think like uh, like not so much. I didn't realize how much people were like in love with the movie. Like you, but I think looking at it now, it is interesting to see how how big this movie's being blown up by people to me because yeah. i i think the movie's good i just don't think it's like what did you say number 12 on letterbox letterbox has it yeah number 12 all time like that's a little insane yeah like, it, very very insane it it's is good a film it's good nerd favorite 
Yeah, it, it'd, it'd be, you know, I don't know where it ranked on my list from last year, but um, yeah, no, I, I, I liked it enough. I just thought it needed to, you know, at a certain point, it's like, all right, you're, this is, this is failing to grab me. Please push it along. Yeah. I, I have it at around 25. I respect it a lot. I, I, yeah, but, me too. Uh, most people had it in the top 10, or at least most cinephiles had it in the top 10, and I, I don't... I, just, I, don't I don't even think it's that good. Like, it's I'm, not that good. I'm not opinion. seeing what everybody just, else is seeing, especially in like no. a stacked year from last year. I, I'm not seeing it, but yeah. okay. That's fine. Let's get into it. Concert movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had this thought about concert films um, oh. and uh, how, you know, they're mostly a fool's errand. Leading. I think in general, like the idea of making a concert movie um it kind of defeats the whole purpose of movies and concerts. Do you know what I'm saying? I guess in a way. I mean, here's the thing about live music, right? It's only cool because it's live. It's mm. only cool because you can see it. Yep. If you're going to just sit at home and watch a concert film, like just listen to the album, all the songs are on there. Yep. And those versions are better than the live versions. I, like there, there are people that will often listen to live versions of of recordings like i've talked to people that prefer live albums to studio albums and i've we'll, never understood that uh well we're gonna talk about that with one film in particular on okay. this on on this list in which yeah the live music is actually better in my opinion okay um we'll talk about uh, it but i mean it's a good point it kind of reminds me of uh uh anton yelchin's line in green room Whereas like music is just kind of raw and it's aggression and it's performed live and then it's over. Right. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. I like that. But that's the reason that you go to concerts. You exactly. go yeah. to a concert because you can't get that experience anywhere else. There is a certain contract made with the audience mm-hmm. that this show is going to be unique to every mm-hmm. other show that's ever performed. Yep. And so to be here in this moment is the only way that you can truly experience it. Yep. The second yep. you put a camera in the room, you kind of take away the charm of a concert. Well, it just becomes something different. Like I said, a concert itself, like he says, you gotta be there. That's the point. But when it becomes some, when when you start when you start filming it, it, it's you know it inherently is not a live thing anymore. It's something you're appreciating from a certain distance. Not not necessarily depending on the direction the movie chooses to go, but it yeah, I, you're right. It inherently is not going to be this incredible live raw experience that any concert usually is. So right. yeah. Um, so we're going to talk about five movies today that I think span the spectrum um, in terms of like rehearsed works of theater and spontaneous acts of filmmaking. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah. a lot of stuff on here that is raw and real and gives you a sense of what it would be like to be there. And then there are other movies on the list that are like specifically made to be experienced in a movie theater, you know, mm-hmm. and it's and like it works better as a work of filmmaking than it does as a, as a concert, as a live experience. Um, well, I mean, well, that's debatable. I don't maybe, but you know, again, it's just, it becomes like the, the concept that's being put in, being put on, uh, in some cases, uh, I suppose, you know, works just as well as a concert as it would a movie mm-hmm. or vice versa. Um, but I also have feelings on just the nature of these movies. I mean, some of them I don't consider concert films. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll get into it then. Yeah. There's only, there's really one in particular that I really don't consider a concert film. Okay. Well, let's get into it now. Um, because yeah, I was sort of, um, I thought I was being strict about the definition, but maybe I wasn't strict enough, uh, because there were movies that I left off the list because I don't consider them concert films. 
to me, concert movie is a movie that is structured around one performed event. That's how I would define it. Like the, the plot, if you want to call it that, or at least the focus of the movie is one experience that an audience went to live. So it it can't be like a documentary that follows an act on tour. It can't be, um, you know, something that is heavier on the interview talking heads aspect than the music aspect. It's got to be about that one concert. We also eliminated, by the way, stand up comedy. We didn't consider those concert films. I guess you, they are technically concert films, but this was more music podcast that we wanted to do today. So the Richard Pryor stuff, Bill Cosby himself, um, all, all that stuff we, we ruled out. So it's just live music and it's one event. It can maybe take place over a couple days, like in the case of Woodstock. Um, but we ruled out movies like Don't Look Back, which is the Bob Dylan documentary that more follows him on a tour. It's more like an account of his life than it is a single concert movie. Decline of Western Civilization is another one um, that I didn't include that three part documentary about the uh, uh, history of punk rock. So it's not a documentary. It's a concert. And I think that there there is a difference between the two. Yeah. And I was going to say there because that's what I was thinking. Like the amount of focus on the concert itself is very, very important. And when the movie sort of strays away from that and sort of examines a lot of the stuff on the periphery as well, it breaks away from that, in my opinion. But then you have there's again, there's also an example on this list that is like a perfect blending of the two mm-hmm. of the event and the concert. And again, we'll get to that eventually. But yeah, there's there's I didn't I think when I got into this, I didn't know how complicated like my view on a concert film was going to ultimately be because mm-hmm. experiencing all of these i think it's all of them are kind of a radically different thought process oh yeah so yeah I, I think it's an awesome list for that reason uh here are some notes for you national film registry i wrote down every movie in the national film registry that is either a concert film or music documentary they are the last waltz woodstock decline of western civilization don't look back Jazz on a Summer's Day, Monterey Pop, which, by the way, is also a D.A. Penny Baker movie. Don't Look Back and Monterey Pop, both D.A. Penny Baker movies. Um, one day I'd like to talk about him because he, I think, is one of the most important documentarians of all time and I think sort of created this subgenre in many ways. Mm. Uh, the Tammy Show, T-A-M-I Show, and okay. Thelonious Monk, Straight No Chaser, all in the National Film Registry. Some honorable mentions for you. I have Neil Young's Heart of Gold, which was also a Jonathan Demme concert film. Really? Okay. Yeah. His second one. He made two. Uh, Stop Making Sense and Heart of Gold. Amazing Grace from last year. Aretha Franklin talked about it, I think, on my uh, end of year top 10 list. Really enjoy that movie quite a bit. Rolling Thunder Review. Scorsese, Dylan. Same thing. I've talked about that movie enough on this podcast. This is it. Michael Jackson. <laughs> the final tour uh, comprised of concert footage, rehearsal footage from before that final tour. Uh, He died before ever performing at a single one of those events. But uh, I remember seeing that movie in the theater the year that Michael Jackson died, and I absolutely loved it. Prince, Sign of the Times. You know how much I would love to talk about Prince, but I think this list is too stacked. (laughs) Uh, Awesome, I fucking shot that. Beastie Boys documentary, which I've heard really good things about. Uh, Shine a Light, Rolling Stones, Martin Scorsese. I think we have a better Stones movie and a better Scorsese movie on the list already. So, I agree. 
Yeah, no need for that one. Rattle and Hum, the U2 concert doc. The song remains the same. Just missed the cut. Zeppelin. Yeah. That's all right. We talk Zeppelin enough, you and I. Yeah. Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. (laughs) David Bowie. Madonna, Truth or Dare. Uh, I already talked about Don't Look Back and Decline of Western Civilization. And then I I hit up the Discord, which evidently you can find on the website, toomanythoughtsmedia.com. Click on the sidebar. Join our Discord conversation. And you can answer questions like this. Which concert documentaries would you like me to shoot a shout out on the podcast? And Jeff told me to shout out Pearl Jam 20, which was directed by Cameron Crowe. Huh. Okay. And Audrey, of course, told me to shout out Glee, the concert movie in 3D. We love you, Audrey. Yeah. We don't always love your movie taste, but we love you anyway. (laughs) Good for her. (laughs) Always comes back to Glee with Audrey. Always comes back to Glee. Both, both in, I guess, in terms of the show and, and thematically with us. It's like, it just puts a <laughs> smile on our face. <laughs> oh, Audrey. Oh, Audrey. Uh, all right. You ready? Yeah. Okay. Let's start with this one, then. Most of all, we are all ourselves. I didn't tell you I have a soundboard for this. <laughs> no shit. Oh god, no. <laughs> uh. well, Dave well, Chappelle's well. block party! Yeah. <laughs> From 2005, directed by Mihil Gondry, the director of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Starring Dave Chappelle, featuring the music of Kanye West, Most Deaf, Common, Talib Kweli, uh, Big Daddy Kane, John Legend, Dead Prez, The Roots Crew, and the Fugees! Yeah. Lauren Hill and the Fugees reunited in 2005. Yeah. Inspired by the 1972 movie Wattstack. Wattstacks. Interesting. Um... I made you watch this one. Yeah, you did. And I also made you listen to the music of Kanye West. <laughs> I was very confused why you were making me watch the music of, or listen to the music of Kanye West, considering he only has two performances in this movie. Well, uh, yes, that's true. He only has two performances. Um, I, I will say when I watched this movie for the first time, I was struck with how good a live performer Kanye West was. And how bad a live performer he now is, um, just because I don't think he's like that interested in in live music anymore. Here, here's the case that I will make for this movie, and then you can unload for a second. Um, I enjoy it as like a time capsule. This is the year before Chappelle fled to Africa and was really? never heard from again. <clears throat> right after he signed the fifty million dollar deal with Comedy Central, um, this is right at the cusp. Of uh of Kanye West's like creative peak, um, the, you know, uh, College Dropout, his first album was just released the year before. This was the year that Kanye West became a superstar, and so, you know, it was before he was wearing a MAGA hat uh, mm. on Instagram. It was before he uh, stormed the stage on Taylor Swift. It it was before Kanye West became the Kanye West we now know. And when Kanye West was just like an awesome young musician 
And, you know, I miss that Kanye and it's nice to see him again. I miss that Dave Chappelle who was just Mm. at the peak of his powers and was no longer or was yet to be quote unquote problematic. It was before Common won a fucking Oscar for that stupid song from Selma. And he started he won an Oscar. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, he did. Oh. That terrible song he did with John Legend. You know, it was before he became a cornball and a spokesperson Ugh. for like Sprint or AT&T or whatever the hell he, he does. Uh, it was before the Roots were Jimmy Fallon's house band. That's nice to see. Like when the Roots didn't sell out for NBC. Uh and, you know, I just, I miss that era, man. I miss when it was all about the music. I'm not sure it was ever all just about the music. But in this movie, it sure felt like it. Um, yeah. So, for me, it's a nice time capsule, and I'm interested to see what you thought of it. I mean, the, I mean, I didn't listen to any of these people growing up. I just wasn't one of those kids. Um, I, I, I did, however, grow up uh, watching and listening to a lot of... Um, um, Dave Chappelle through like, you know, various things online or just watching his show. And, uh, I certainly miss this era of Dave Chappelle. That's, that's, that's true. Um, the movie's a lot of fun. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I don't even necessarily appreciate it as a, as a time capsule piece. It's just a, it's just a sort of a good fun poppin' movie. And it's got a, it's got a great spirit and, and love for, for the event that happens in this. And it's actually quite endearing. And to see them pull together the people that they pull together is, is kind of fantastic. And the amount of fun that everyone else is having is, again, just you can really, really feel it. And you kind of go along with it with them. And I mean, <laughs> even if like I didn't necessarily love all the performances because it's not quite my genre, mm-hmm. um, it, it's, it, it's just hard not to vibe with it. And then even Dave Chappelle just getting up there and being Dave Chappelle is endlessly hilarious. It's just and infectious. Just one of the funniest things I've uh, I've ever seen in a while. Um, he's sitting in a classroom with with kids. It's in like you know it's in Brooklyn, and and all the kids are black. And he's just like, if I if I if you were to get my limo, where would you like to go? And this one little kid says Alabama, and he's like Alabama. <laughs> how about when he's driving around the neighborhood in in brooklyn and he goes to the rich neighborhood like he was yeah. in the hood before because the concert is set in the hood but yep. he then he he starts riding through the rich neighborhood at all the townhouses and he he starts blaring on the horn and he's got his megaphone and he goes attention huxtables <laughs> <laughs> there's a concert happening you should attend <laughs> <laughs> or when he does the rain dance when he starts with the bongos oh yeah <laughs> white hit people me. are welcome <laughs> hit me hit me that's the best where are the mexicans <laughs> <laughs> can't find any but, mexicans <laughs> i fucking love dave Chappelle. that was half the, the enjoyment though just dave Chappelle being who he was yeah oh my god i miss that guy i mean he's still great today it's just a different dave right right you know um, yeah, yeah, real, really good. Yeah, I was, I was, I, I, I wasn't necessarily even surprised by how much I liked. It. I had a feeling I would enjoy it this much. But what I was looking for, I suppose, was which performances <laughs> would speak more to me. Because mm-hmm. again, it's such a, it's, it's so not my thing. Mm-hmm. But I was like, okay, let's see who falls into place properly. And I really like the Fugees, mm-hmm. and I really like Most Deaf. Oh yeah. Yeah. Most stuff is great in this. Yeah. 
Want to know who I don't like, Nico? Who? Kanye fucking West. Stop. <laughs> Didn't like it. Stop. <laughs> it was the most obnoxious posery performance ever. And con- oh, Common. Co- I- Common's even worse. Common's a thousand times worse, and I want that man gone. I f- oh, I hate Common so fucking much. I, I hate what Common has become. Yes, I, I agree with uh, you. I think, I think Common is a, not the platonic ideal of a pop artist, but... I don't, I don't know if I've ever seen anybody more full of shit than Common. Common uh, is definitely full of shit. Yes, I agree. Really honest. Oh my god, I hate. I know, guy. but again though, like Common helped produce a lot of those great Kanye records. He he's been featured on a lot of uh, awesome Jay Z tracks. So again, back in the day, before Common became a corporate shill, like I I actually think like he was the highlight of a lot of these records. Um, I I, I think he's very good in this movie, uh, I, and I love the opening, the the song that Most Def does at the beginning. And this is interesting to hear that you that you like most deaf in this movie. Uh, the opening song, two words, is a Kanye no. West song. And here's the funny thing: when I listened to the playlist, I hated two words. Two words were one of my least favorite songs. That really? Me, yeah, it might have been my my most hated. I hated that, and I hated uh, uh, all the stars and diamonds from Sierra Leone. The absolute all, bullshit. All the stars? Oh, all of the lights? You mean? All of the light. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. You that's hated right. Diamonds from Sierra Leone? Oh, what? That, that, I don't know. I, I have no idea what Kanye is talking about. He is in no position to be making a song like that. Uh, yeah, fuck that song. Okay, um, wait a minute. Time out. And, like, and, let, and let, me, fuck, let, me, let me. And fuck just, all the stars, by the way. Um, it's not all the stars. That's a Kendrick song. Whatever. All, all of the, all lights. the lights. Okay, wh- same difference. Okay, time out. <laughs> time out, time out. Okay. So I. Um, I told Adam last week, I'm going to make you a playlist of songs that I think you will enjoy by <laughs> Kanye. I did my best. I went through and I'm like, all right, knowing Adam Hall's tastes, which, which songs will speak to him the most. And I gave him a list of 10 and I called it the Kanye West primer and I made you listen to all of them. So let's go down the line. A black skinhead off of Yeezus. Oh yeah. Eh. Okay, I thought you would like it because there's a lot of percussion in that. It's like really like hard rock. It's 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 again like that stuff is always kind of okay. I didn't mind it. Um, uh, I again as soon as Kanye got going, I'm like, nope, I'm out. Two words you didn't like. Hate it. That's probably my least favorite of the. Even bunch. though you like most Def. Yeah, I like his version of it. Yeah. Well, he's in the recorded version. Is he in that recorded version? Yes, that you he's featured. Me? Yes, he's featured well, here, in the record. Here we go already about live performances. This was so much better. K West most deaf. Like, yeah, you wasn't hear even, his song is in the record. His yeah, name it wasn't record. even close, man. I mean, a thousand times better. The, whatever, whatever you sent me was awful. It's the same song. Well, the live version's a lot better. <laughs> Common is in the live version. <laughs> Dude, I don't. I, I'm trying to even <laughs> identify if I like that at the beginning of the film. Okay, only one. Paul McCartney uh, didn't like it. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was a, a messy composition. A messy composition. Yeah, I was like, what, is, what the hell is this? There's one yeah. instrument. Yeah, exactly. Isn't that it's, amazing? It's just Paul on the keys. That's all I it know. is. I, I, I this. Oh my God, Kanye, you, you're, you're not you're not made to be singing this stuff. I, I feel like you went into this with a closed mind. Uh, no, touch the sky. Did you like touch the sky? Uh, I, if I remembered it, I, I listened to it. Oh, I skipped that one. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't like that. You one. skipped it. Yeah, I was like, no. Mm-mm. Flashing lights. Did you like it? No. 
Can you give me the one song you did like? I didn't like any songs. <laughs> That's what we're leading to. <laughs> you sent me this playlist. I didn't like a single song. I didn't power? even like power. No. Lost in the world. No. Bonnie Vare is featured on that. So what? <laughs> Devil in a new dress. No. Rick Rock. No. <laughs> Fuck that song. <laughs> Headphones just popped out of the socket. <laughs> yeah, dude. All right, fine. We're done with that. <laughs> Got to get off of Kanye. I'm not a fan, Nico. <laughs> I think you went in with a closed mind. No. Because that was like, a diverse <laughs> list of tracks. An incredibly no, diverse I list actually, of tracks. That was part of my problem is that they started to like become forgettable. And I'm like, okay, well, it, it feels like everything else I've, I've ever heard. So, no. Not you my liked, jam. You liked the Fugees, though, in this movie. Yeah, hey, I like the Fugees. And I, li- I like most of Moss Def. I bet you, I bet you if I thought back and, and to, to the beginning of the movie, I probably would not like that opening number with Moss Def. I definitely liked him later on, though. I know that for sure. And you like the roots, obviously. Yeah. The roots are cool. The roots are so cool. Yeah. Um, well, and uh, I really like uh, Erica. How do you say it? Dabu? What's her last name? Uh, yes. Erica. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Something she like was, that. She was cool. She was really cool. Uh, did you like the crazy lady with the house? The crazy lady with the house? Yeah. The, the, the hippie lady? Yeah. Yeah, I like the hippie lady. Okay. How could you not like the hippie lady? A lot of great characters in this movie. <laughs> Dude, I, lo- I love all the stuff with the marching band. I love mm. that he just pulled this random Ohio marching band to perform Jesus Walks with Kanye. I, I just thought it was great. I just thought that was yep. movie magic. Um yeah, I, look, I don't think it's a great concert documentary. I don't think it's at the level of these other four. Um, but, you know, we needed some modern music on the list. Um, I didn't want it to just be five movies that our parents saw in the movie theaters in the 70s. You know, I wanted to break away from the rock genre a little bit, and I think we did that. And uh, this is as good a representation of the 21st century music scene as any, I think. So, um, I suppose, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just uh, yeah. I'm done. I with just you. think, just no more Kanye. Uh uh-uh. uh. I'm, I'm I, done with you. I do not like Kanye West. <sighs> Let's talk. Give me shelter. <laughs> okay. Oh, I forgot to pull up the song. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Is this Led Zeppelin? the stones mm. give me shelter from 1970 directed by albert mazeless david mazeless and charlotte zerwin starring mick jagger charlie watts keith richards mick taylor and bill wyman otherwise known as the rolling stones also featuring music from jefferson airplane the flying burrito brothers and tina turner oh my god tina turner in this movie <laughs> Yeah, smoking. <laughs> what is Ooh. going on with Tina? Oh, dripping. <laughs> yeah, baby. 
Um, I watched this movie for the first time along with you. Yeah. Uh, you can stream it, by the way, at HBO Max, if you are so inclined, the new streaming service just uh, released by Warner Brothers and HBO. Uh, also on the Criterion Collection. Um, yeah, give me shelter. Here, here's my uh, experience watching the movie, as I'm sure it's most people's experience. I'm watching it. The first performance is at Madison Square Garden. And it's just Mick doing his Mick thing. I think Jumpin' Jack Flash was the first song. Yep. I think he does Satisfaction and uh, also during that set. And I'm like, oh, cool. It's the music of the Rolling Stones. I like, I've heard good things about this movie and it's making sense. Yeah, good documentary. It's Mick in yeah. the 70s. Whatever, right? Sure. Um, but then I'm like, oh, you know, what, what about this like stands out? And then they cut to this footage and it's a... Mick and the rest of the guys in like a in a studio and they're watching this monitor and the filmmakers of this movie are making them watch this monitor and the monitor has a bunch of concert footage on it um and there's this other like nice scene uh where like uh, a live version of wild horses is playing and keith richards is like tapping his toe and that's like the only image you see as the song is being played. And I'm like, oh, all right. This is like a cool sort of cinema verite documentary fly on the wall with the stones. I see where they're going with this. Um, and then they get to this other performance at a speedway. Mm. Was it in Indiana? I think so. They're at the speedway in Indiana. And there's this footage of like their manager negotiating their their appearance fees and all this stuff and uh we get to the second performance again the madison square garden stuff is cool but this is really the the crux of the movie uh and then a dude gets stabbed to death by the hell's angels yeah and i'm like oh that's what movie we're watching yes (laughs) um well uh, i mean this is just this man i don't know who set this thing up but i mean I feel like even back then, guys, I mean, I don't, this is the problem with those hippies. They think everybody blends. Okay. <laughs> case in point, don't mix hippies with the hell's angels. No you fucking lunatics. Um, bad idea. Let's just, yeah, you know, it's a bad idea. Um, this is not a concert film. Okay. No, this ain't a concert film at all. This is more of a, a documentary on an account. Okay. This is one of the examples I was thinking of. It it doesn't even bother to to add the pretense. I mean, it's it's not a concert. <laughs> the concert in this is not. It's a non-concert. It's a disaster. Well, yeah. It, well, it's, it's a it's, failed concert, right? Yeah. It's it's covering an event that that kind of shook the world and and disillusioned the hippie movement. And I'm like, oh, well, that's what this is. And it's like, you know, it's the coverage of that event. I can. I can barely qualify it as, as a concert film because it's at a certain point. I mean, honestly, quickly, you realize that that's not what it is. I mean, the movie, because I was sort of right there with you. I was trying to figure out what the movie was besides just like the Rolling Stones like performing. Um, and it was actually like not engaging me at all at first. I'm like, is that all this really is? Right. It was a little. It, and then it became meandering. And then I was like, why is it that every time we cut back to the Rolling Stones in the editing booth, it feels like they're like soldiers that just came back from a long battle. Right. And you're talking to, and it's, it's, here's a good example in 
a couple instances in Vietnam, there were reporters that went to the field and they would try to interview soldiers and the soldiers would like stand around while the reporters would ask their questions. And then all they would respond with is just like kind of looking around on the ground and then walking away. Mm-hmm. And that's what this movie felt like. Right. It's, Cause it's as if you're being placed in there with the Rolling Stones and it's like, guys, you look terrible. What happened? And they just look at you with a somber face and they don't say anything. That's what Mick and, does in this movie. Like they ask him questions yeah. towards the end. He's watching the footage of the guy yeah. pulling the gun out on him and being stabbed to death in the middle of this field. And mm-hmm. he just sits there. And when it ends, he turns to the, the camera and goes, we done? Yeah. And walks away. Yep. Doesn't say He's, shit. Yep. Doesn't be like, oh, this was a horrible tragedy. You know, maybe I'm not going to hire the Hells Angels as security at future concert. <laughs> You know, doesn't say anything like that. Just goes, we done and walks away. But by saying that or by by uh, the lack of words, like he communicates everything he wants to communicate. You understand exactly what he's thinking. You see the gears in his head turning like, oh, yeah, we're like the biggest rock band in the world. And we should like be hiring professionals for this. We shouldn't be hiring a motorcycle (laughs) gang to protect us. It's so much, but it's so big because you're right. It's it's a movie about like almost coming to terms with your influence and the pitfalls of that influence. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so awesome to actually witness because, like you said, like they they the the silence in those booths uh, whenever the, it cuts to it in the film is much like okay they 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 know what happened they know what they did and. They, they, it's a, a best, basically about them just kind of like sitting with with it and almost punishing themselves watching it. Yeah, I mean they're kind of responsible. Is really yeah. the conclusion that the film comes to, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, it was, I'm well, it just it, and it, I, like you said, it took me a while to figure out like where the movie was going. But again, like that that was such an interesting perspective to f- kind of discover it. Yes. You know, I, I I appreciate that direction a lot. Um, I, I I'm not sh- I. I didn't come out thinking it was like, like I didn't love it though because the rest of the movie is so like, you know, it's just like a bunch of like, you know, it's them on the road trying to get to the concert, trying to organize it. No, it doesn't really become great for me until that third act when that's yeah, exactly. But when that, the third act happens and they're (laughs) struggling to put on the concert and not just when the Rolling Stones go on, even when Jefferson airplane is, is up and you know, grateful dead ultimately says, no, we don't want to play here. Um, that is a great you know, scene, feed. by the way. Oh, when, the, awesome. when the dead just show up and they're like, yeah, the Hells Angels knocked out fucking uh, the dude from Jefferson Airplane. Yep. And they're like, oh, yep. okay, well, we're going to split then. Yeah, this ain't for like... <laughs> It's that crazy that like the like the Grateful Dead is fantastic, but like to to think that you know they're lower on the totem pole than the Rolling Stones, and they were sm- still smart enough to be like, yeah, we're not gonna play here. Oh, Marty's <laughs> in a coma. I think yeah. I'm gonna head to the chopper. I think yeah. I'm good, man. <laughs> like I look at this thing, and it's like it's so obvious. It's so obvious that this bad thing is gonna happen at a certain point. I'm like, oh, right. this ain't gonna be pretty. This should like been, yeah. The, the kibosh should have been put on it immediately. They should have known much sooner that this was going to happen. I mean, I, I I don't know. Maybe it's because we have the perspective that we do about like the Hells Angels. But I just as soon as I saw the Hells Angels mixed in with hippies, I'm like, oh, I'm like freaking out. I was having like an anxiety attack. I'm like, what the fuck is this? Get them out of there, please. I, I guess the origins for this was that in the UK, 
one of the groups at the time, I don't know which one, one of the British invasion bands, used mm. the Hells Angels as security over there, overseas. Oh. But the thing is, that chapter of the Hells Angels is drastically different than the American chapter of the Hells Angels. Yep. And so, you know, some of that cultural context was was left out. So, so the Stones were just like, oh, worked over there because there's no hippies in the UK. I'm sure it'll work just fine over here. And uh, obviously it didn't. So, I mean, that was just sort of a cultural barrier that they had to overcome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just a, a really bad idea. It's also coming on the heels of Woodstock, which we're going to talk about in just yep. a second. But Woodstock is this great, like, miracle of live music in 69, 400,000 people crammed into this little town in New York and like nobody got hurt. I mean, people overdosed and shit, but like there were no fights, nothing burnt down. Uh, you know, there was no major acts of violence. Everybody was just like peaceful and loving for three days. And uh, like, that's just an incredible anom- anomaly. If you know anything about human nature, like if you put 400,000 hungry, uh, uh, intoxicated people in a field together, bad shit is usually going to go down. And yep. at Woodstock, that just didn't happen. So, um, you know, I, I think it's it just shows you how much of a unicorn Woodstock was. Like it, even a year later, it was not replicable. I don't even think it was a year later. Yeah, it might have been the sure. same year. I think you're right about uh, that. Yeah, but that's that's what's so insane about it to me. Because again, it doesn't just show like how much of an anomaly Woodstock is. It also just shows the. I mean, we, we know the hippies are quite flawed. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's pretty apparent. Quentin Tarantino but, will tell you that if you watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> great scene. Um, but I I have to stress like the hypocrisy with uh, hippies because. Yeah, obviously the Hells Angels are going to do some bad shit, but like the stupidity with some of these people, you don't antagonize the Hells Angels. <laughs> you don't touch their bikes. You don't jump on stage when they have fucking sawed off pool cues ready to beat you over the head with it. And also the fact that you're antagonizing them at all, because clearly they were, um, that goes against your entire purpose. Right. Right? Right? I mean... Because all they had to say was was because okay, here's the thing I, I I'm not putting more blame on one side or the, I mean it's obviously the Hell's Angels' fault here. But there that being good said, on both sides, Adam. Yeah, whatever. Good people of both sides. What? Fuck you. What I'm saying is maybe maybe because you know they were as soon as the Hell's Angels did anything that was remotely aggressive, they're like fuck these pigs, fuck right. these fascists, right. so on and so forth. Yeah, well, who the fuck are you doing? Uh, what are you doing being here? Maybe, and so on and so maybe. forth. No, dude. I, I think a lot of it was just like they were high on acid and they got naked and tried getting onto the stage. But like, I think a lot of it was, I don't know yeah. if a lot of it was politically motivated. I think it was just they were on a lot of acid and they wanted to touch Mick Jagger. I still think my point stands, though. They're just fucking idiots. <laughs> no, certainly. So I, yeah. I just think, like, if you hired security professionals, that would have been yeah. dealt with in a drastically different way. Yes. <laughs> I don't think anybody needs to die because, you know, some dude with dreadlocks with his penis hanging out wanted to, you know, strum an Eric Adar with Keith Richards. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. I know. And it was just, <laughs> a lot of naked people in this movie, by the way, that one like fatter girl who was like so lost. Mm. She was had like the black curly hair and she was out of her mind fucked up and she was completely naked. Just 
clawing on top of people, pushing them aside. It was the funniest image, <laughs> trying to get on the stage. And then these Hells Angels guys come and just rip her and fuck her up and throw her off. I'm like, what the hell is this show? What is going on? This is horrifying. <laughs> it was such a disaster. I can't stress that enough. I mean, yes. this was a horror show. Right. And like I said, barely a concert. They, when, when, as soon as the Stones try to perform, it's almost always cut short by the Hells Angels and the crowd just, right. just ruining the whole thing. But, but I still think, though, the movie is shot as if it's a concert film. It's just that the concert doesn't end up happening. I, I don't know, because I, I, it gets to the point where it almost stops focusing on the concert altogether. Well, because they have focusing. no choice, though. But that, that I, I know, I, they go in with the intention of it being a concert film for sure. That's, that's my d- point, yeah. That's definitely true. But the movie yeah. certainly does not become that. That's what I'm saying. I mean, they start performing Sympathy for the Devil, and then, like, a fight breaks out in front of them. So, again, like, yeah, it, it is structured as though it is a concert film. It just, it's just that the concert doesn't happen, or at least it's cut short, and it be, it, the, the meaning becomes lost, I guess. Yeah. Well, the thing the is, music like, it's is no longer the focus, right? No. And, I mean, even the, the progression of the story and how it starts, like, when I started watching it, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is a concert film through and through. And by the end of it, I'm like, that was something else entirely. It became this weird sort of like like coverage of an event that just sort of it just kind of happens the mm-hmm. filmmakers were not attempting that at all it just sort of evolved and and like you know formed in front of them and they were sort of at at, at an obligation to capture it because that's all they could do right so yeah um yeah okay so i, I understand what you're saying I, I still think though it's a pretty riveting watch at least that third act is very riveting oh, um, it's great and it's, look the the framing device of having mick watch it on the monitor is like really brilliant and innovative and that's the other thing yes i love that you know i mean we're using it today that michael jackson documentary on espn all the clips that have went viral are of just like mj watching an interview that someone else did and him like Mm. laughing at them um Mm. so like that's a device that we're still using 60 years later 50 years later excuse me um so you know that can't be understated it's like really awesome documentary filmmaking um and also like unbiased in a weird way and like just very distant and that's what i appreciate most about the movie like it doesn't feel like the directors are fans of the stones they're just like some dudes that were let into the room um mm-hmm. it, we're going to talk about the last waltz in a, in a a few minutes um but like that movie includes martin scorsese on screen interviewing the band and you can tell how much of a fan he is of, oh yeah of their music and and like of the genre of rock and roll you know that is the type of movie although very affectionate and effective um is not exactly unbiased and journalistic and i think there's no. something very pure and journalistic about this type of movie mm-hmm. no it i yeah the fact that it doesn't feel like it has an agenda actually helps and it actually makes it a little more ominous yes so, so it was very fitting for, for, for it to play out that way, especially with what happens in the third act. It's like there's a Pruder film. Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> right. But it, it, it really did. But that, that, that also leads to sort of my issues with the film at the beginning, because the film is, I didn't like, I didn't rate it like crazy high. I like the movie a lot, but it's, it, it really, you know, earns its, its, its namesake at the end like it, yeah. it, the movie becomes like uh, like the thing that it is at the very very end and it takes a little while to get there i wasn't like crazy compelled by it but right. i will say that once it got there it was um 
it was uh it was pretty <laughs> incredible yeah. you know for better or worse you start screaming give me shelter literally in the third act yeah uh that's the brilliance of it um i have some facts for you yeah uh there there was a high profile name operating camera during this event for the mazeless mazelesses yeah none of his footage was used in the final cut of the movie however because most of it was rendered uh useless Okay. Not because the camera work was bad, but because the film didn't come out right. Oh. Uh, that man is named George Lucas. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, poor George. <laughs> poor George is right. Wow, I didn't even know that. <laughs> Got thrown That's... into the ringer on day one. <laughs> How can you blame him, you know? How can you blame him for the prequels after you lived through this? You know what? I love the prequels. Okay. I love them. They're great. <laughs> poor guy seriously that sucks yeah uh meredith hunter was the person that was shown on screen dying at this event he was stabbed to death after pulling a gun Mm -hmm. two uh two other people died however uh both caused or one was caused by a hit and run car accident and another man fell into a ditch and died of suffocation at the event so it's just a real shitty day for the rolling stones and for those people um Mm -hmm. This is interesting. Apparently, this tragedy was inspiration for at least part of the song American Ply by Don McLean. Oh, that's kind of interesting. There's a lot of references throughout the song. Elvis is mentioned. Dylan is mentioned. All that stuff. Uh, That final line, though. And as I was watching him on the stage, my hands were clenched in fist of rage. No angel born in hell could break that Satan spell. And as the flames climbed high into the night to light the sacrificial rite, I saw Satan laughing with delight the day the music died. That makes sense. It's about that event. Cool. And also, I did want to mention one more time, Tina Turner, who Mm. has an orgasm in this movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, She orgasms on stage. Mm. (laughs) And it is something to behold. Mm. Bust the deal, face the wheel. Mm. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. That's give me shelter. (laughs) <laughs> really good really yeah. really good all right let's um, move on yeah. next we have woodstock mm. from doing what he does I saw a really interesting note about that guitar solo and how it sort of blended patriotism and the rebelliousness of the 70s Mm. um, better than like any piece of art ever yeah and I I just like god fucking Hendrix dude (laughs) oh well you could feel that I, I remember even when I watched it I was like wow this is it's like it's the national anthem, but it is the 1960s national anthem. That's right. definitely true. Yeah, right. It's both like hand on my heart, salute this great country, and also fuck you. Yep. And it, it blends them better than anyone ever could. And uh, yeah, um, Jimi Hendrix is the most iconic performer at Woodstock um, in 1969. But there were a host of others. Woodstock Oddly was directed though. by Michael Wadley. Wadley. Yes. Wadley, yeah. 
featuring the music of Richie Havens, Joan Baez, The Who, Shanana, Joe Cocker, Cos- Crosby, Stills, and Nash, Santana, Sly and the Family Stone, and Jimi Hendrix, of course. Winner of Best Documentary at the Academy Awards. Also nominated for Best Sound and Best Film Editing. I'm sure you know this already, but who was nominated for that editing job, Adam Hall? Thelma? Thelma Schoonmaker. 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 It's not Schoonmaker? Schoonmaker, yeah. Okay. Do you know who uh, her assistant editor was? Wasn't it uh, good old Marty? It was indeed. Marty. Marty Scorsese. Thelma Schoonmaker and Martin Scorsese, assistant directors and editors on this project. Yep, that's right. That's right. There's a great trivia question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I also watched this for the first time. I realized that I have just seen a lot of these performances on YouTube over the years. So like not all of the music was new to me. Um, I had seen, of course, that Star Spangled Banner performance and most of the Hendrix stuff. Um, so this was the first time watching it in the context of the documentary. And so for that reason, it felt more like a documentary to me than it did a concert movie. Um, but of course it is still very much a concert movie. Uh, go ahead. What, what were your thoughts on it? I mean, I hadn't seen any of these performances before actually. Okay. Believe it or not. Yeah. Um, I mean, I got into it like, like pretty, you know, I was sort of daunted by it cause it's like four hours long. Right. Um, and, you know, that's that's not exactly the best thing in the world. Um, and then the movie, like, kind of gets going, and I start to pick up on what it is. And, um, man, uh, I think by the intermission, I had realized it's probably one of the greatest things I've ever seen. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> yeah. Because um, the movie is, is, again, that perfect blending of both the concert itself and also what the event of Woodstock was like. <laughs> and it is pretty transportive and detailed it's like one of the most like open and revealing movies i've ever seen uh sometimes too revealing i would say yeah yeah (laughs) but that's sort of why it's great yeah um basically all walks of life good and bad and just like it's got it's juggling also a lot of tones i thought but like it's so like like fun and loving and energetic but hilarious I mean, some of the split screen stuff where they're interviewing the people of the town and saying how much they love the kids. And then you get a split screen shot of a bunch of kids laying down in the field naked and having sex and it's mm. or like skinny dipping or, or going mudding and, and whatnot. And I'm just like, what? Or they're just doing like speed or LSD. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I love the contrast. I absolutely mm. adored the contrast. And um, I thought. Uh, as far as like the filmmaking was concerned, it was fairly inventive and exciting to watch and very different. I hadn't seen uh, a movie <laughs> change aspect ratios the way this one does oh, yeah. to the blending effects, to the split screens, to the, a lot of the handheld stuff, to the way it, 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 it focuses on its subjects on stage. It's just really captivating and just it's filmed as if like it's one of the people in the crowd as well, just being experimental and fun, but doing it very well. Mm-hmm. But what well, the movie really became great for me was because I hadn't seen a lot of these performances. A lot of the movie for me just became, what is this artist going to produce? Mm-hmm. I had no idea. And it was almost always a wonder to behold. I just was like captivated by just how 
just raw and unchecked these people were and just belting what they were getting out. And it was just awesome to watch and always unexpected. I, who, I, who is your favorite act? Mm. <sighs> There's the obvious Jimi Hendrix, but mm. is, that, is that too obvious? I yes. really loved um, uh, mm, Michael Shreve. Really? Okay. Yeah, for Santana. The Santana performance, I think, was my favorite performance. Yeah. I, I, I go Cocker. Okay. I go Joe. I, I just, obviously, like, that cover of uh, I Get By With A Little Help From My Friends is iconic, and it's been used for, like, theme songs and shit. Uh, I think the Wonder Years theme song was that song. The Joe uh, Cocker performance was nuts, though. Watching him just wail on the air guitar. I'm, I, but I'm... <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't even an air guitar. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know where his like if you like created an algorithm to protect predict where his arms went in any given moment, you wouldn't be able to do it. That, but th- that's oh my god. But that's what I was talking about. It's like right. I did not know the performance was going there. Right. It's like I'm watching that. I'm like, that was stranger than anything David Burns ever done. I'm just oh, like, yeah, it was out of control. Man. It was I, just pure unfettered movement. I loved it though. It was a real wonder to behold. It, it's like it's one of those moments in the in the doc. I mean, the movie starts out great with with Richie Havens. I actually really adored that opening number. Me too. I thought I thought it was great, and it's a perfect way to like kind of ease you into it, but give you a, a sense of like the the spirit of this concert. So, did you know that song "Freedom" was totally improvised? Really? Yeah. Huh. He just took the guitar out and started shouting the word "freedom" over and over again. And then they used that song in Django Unchained. Yes, they did. Yeah, interesting. Well, th- that's the thing I didn't realize because the the song "Motherless Child," which I think is an Eric Clapton song, he's covering that there. Every version of "Motherless Child" I've heard has included "Freedom" at the end of it, but evidently the original record did not include the lyrics uh freedom 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 so mm-hmm. like he improvised that version after singing the song "Motherless Child." And mm. and the improvised section sort of became uh you know fused with the original record, so like wow. the the improvis- improvisation is actually more famous than the original record. I kind of love that. That's what I'm again. Sometimes a live performance, man, it can, it can be better. Right. right, it can be better. But um, uh, yeah, I I think where the movie like really like like just uh, like there are like mo- the movie has like there's a lot like most of the performances are great, but. Um, like again, there's like periodical, like awesome performances, you know, mm-hmm. like, and one of them is uh, the Joe Cocker one. And then you have Janis Joplin, which yeah. is like floored me. Joplin, and, though, not in the original cut. It's only in the director's cut. Yeah. I saw the director's cut. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was incredible. Um, and I, I, like I said, I thought Santana and Michael, when Michael Shreve went just in nuts on the on the fucking drums i'm like <laughs> fuck yeah man i oh my god it's like probably my favorite moment in the entire doc yeah that was yeah. like santana's like star making moment that that's mm-hmm. when the world started paying attention to them um yeah and uh yeah the group 10 years after what uh did like this like uh this jam band style just like repeating the same lyric over and over again um I had never heard of this band before, but again, that performance was just like mesmerizing. I, okay, let me let me say this. I, we've been 
uh, nerding out about the movie a lot. So let me let me start with my nitpicks. Actually, this is more than a nitpick. This is actually kind of big picture. Um, I spent the first half of this movie frustrated as all hell. Really, Why? really frustrated. Um, man, there's a lot of filler in this movie. There's a lot of it. And that's just like not my bag. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people love the movie because it took 20 minutes to get to a song. For me, I'm like, just get to the music already. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I spent the first, again, two hours trying to justify the runtime and I was unable to justify the runtime. I don't know how much of that stuff is unique to the director's cut. If you look, by the way, you can stream this thing on HBO Max also. The only version you can see now is the director's cut, which was, I think, uh, the 90s version of the movie. You can't find that original version. And it's a whole hour longer than the theatrical cut. I was going to say, I don't think, well, that's still really long. The theatrical cut would be like three hours. Yeah, it is. super long. So again, I don't know if they use that extra time to shove in more performances or more B-roll. I don't know. I want to believe that it was more performances. I have a feeling, though, that they stretched out a lot of that B-roll. Um... 20 minutes to get to a song is indefensible. It's fucking indefensible. Okay. And I just found myself frustrated rolling my eyes at these hippies. Like, why are we talking to these two lovers that ran away from home? Yeah. Why are we not using this time to get to more Janice? Like, if you're going to let me, I'll watch four hours of your Woodstock documentary. I have no problem with the runtime, but I want to see every Hendrix song. You know what I'm saying? I want to see more songs from the who. Like, I want to use this time to watch more of the artists that I came to see. I don't need to see dudes having sex in a meadow. You know what I'm saying? Well, well then what? You, that's not Woodstock, though. Then that's the point the movie's making. You I know, get the, it, man. The, the point that it's very obvious that the movie wants to cover everything that it was in very rich and oddly specific detail. I've never seen a documentary get so nitty gritty with with like covering this one specific thing yes and i mean i i I know like you you might call it filler but i just thought it was necessary for painting the picture this is the most well-realized photograph of a movie i think i've ever seen yeah i got it though after 20 minutes and uh, you know what i mean like i i got it so (laughs) yeah let me just be clear until i got to the intermission i spent that time super frustrated at the movie like, why did they, uh, I, I, I think it was Crosby, Stills, and Nash did a song where they shouted at the end, marijuana, and then they mm. cut to split screen. Here's 10 minutes of a bunch of hippies smoking pot, and yeah. we're just going to go back and forth, and we're going to talk about pot for 10 minutes. I don't need that, man. Like, the performance was enough. Like, I, I get the I entirety of that culture by just Crosby, Stills, and Nash screaming marijuana. That tells me all I need to know. Like I understand mm. the vibe through the music. The music should do the talking, and I like that. I don't full. Well, this is the, I. Full, I don't fully agree with that. I was gonna say like because I've only ever gotten the the idea of the vibe of of that time through the music, and it was not the same seeing the people there on the ground and being in their little camps and huts and eating fucking watermelon and shit like that. Mm-hmm. It was it again painted a more visceral picture than I had ever realized and you know, I think richened my understanding of these people and the movement, which is kind of what I appreciated about it. And I understand like, it's not always going to work with people because it is just a lot of stuff that is not music. But if you're interested in looking at this and through, through like, again, the, the perspective that we're looking at it from, I thought it was kind of fascinating. Again, it's, uh, I, I, it's different in the sense that like, I wasn't watching this the way I would watch stop making sense. That's for sure. Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> that's definitely for sure. Um, but again, like viewing this as a photograph of a point in time, I was, I was kind of like, like, I don't know, enraptured by it. I loved it. I wanted to be enraptured by the music. Do you know what I mean? Again, I, I don't want to make this about runtime because it's not about runtime. I'll sit no. there for five hours and watch all of these artists. This is the I greatest assembly of musicians that we've ever had in the history of mankind. I think that's a different movie, though. Perhaps. Yeah. Perhaps. Like, I was totally enraptured by the 10 years after performance. I'm going home. It, I, like... I was amazed by it because like the first five minutes, I'm like, really, is he just going to repeat this lyric over and over again? And then by minute 10, yeah, he's repeating the same lyric over and over again. And I can't look away. I'm watching Hendrix do the star spangled banner for four minutes, just shredding for four minutes. Oh my God. I want to be, I want to be hypnotized by that man. And I just felt like every time they cut to the crowd, it took me out of it, at least for the first two hours by the end of it though. And I will give you this. And maybe this is a testament to Michael uh, uh, Wadley or it's a testament to, to Schoonmaker and Scorsese. Um, yeah, it is hypnotic. There is a hypnotic quality to, you know, by hour three, it actually feels like you're there. And the work does pay off. It's a laborious watch for the first hour or two. Um, and it takes a lot out of you. And it mm-hmm. certainly uh, ran me through the the several stages of frustration. But by the end of it, I, I did feel like I was very rewarded by the experience. Yeah. I still could have used a little more music. Um, really? Let's, yes. Let's cut out the first 10 minutes altogether. Let's skip the segments of all the naked people. Let's certainly skip the segment of the, the naked children. Close-ups on baby dicks. Did not enjoy. Did not enjoy. <laughs> that happens. Yeah. Should not have. Um, <laughs> you know... But I'll tell you what, I'm watching Hendrix at the end and they cut to the crowd and mm-hmm. the crowd is like only at 10% occupancy. Yeah. <laughs> You've been watching this long concert the entire weekend and it's 400,000 people in a field and then Hendrix is there and there's maybe like a couple <laughs> thousand and there's yeah. mud and, and dirt everywhere and garbage strewn around because people are just sick and tired of this fucking weekend. They just want to go home yeah. and you know, by watching this movie over four hours, you get that same effect. You're like, man, yeah, why am I sticking around for Hendrix? Yeah. <laughs> I got to beat the traffic out of here. It's it's so, but I, I, I think that's sort of what made it work for me is like, it's like in terms of like a, a documentary, I don't know if it's ever transported me the way that this one does, mm-hmm. which is usually what I want in a movie is to take, take me to some kind of place. And this movie definitely did that. And again, gave me a different appreciation for, I guess, this era and that, and you know, that, that event specifically, which I, you know, I only ever, I never read up on Woodstock. I I just always kind of knew what it was, Mm -hmm. you know, didn't look into it any deeper. And this was like, you know, it, it almost makes you feel like a Woodstock expert once you're done with it, you know? Yeah. In an odd way. It is exhaustive. It's like Ken Burns level exhaustive. Like we're going to run through every single detail. It's a lot, and I'm sure it probably would have worked pe- perfectly as like a miniseries or something. But right, right, it's a movie. Yeah, I mean, just get to the fucking music. I, that, that's all, man. But that's not the point. That's what I'm saying. It's I like, know, it, no, but it's part of the point, isn't it? Well, it definitely covers a lot of. Mu- that's why I was saying, like, dude, there's a shit ton of fucking music in this. There's a lot of music. I'll sit through the music, but listen, I'll watch eight hours if it's all music. I'll watch eight hours. That I'll, I might not. I'll, I'll sit I'm, through every Joplin performance. They they only included one Joplin performance. 
Yeah, I know. I think the well, year I'm, before she died. There should be several Joplin performances in this. My question was like, how many times did these people perform? Wasn't it multiple times? Did they go on over and over again? I would imagine. I, I would imagine that they didn't fly these people out just to do one song. That I'm not sure of. I, I, that's what I was wondering about because each person had like one, like one or two numbers, and that was it. Yeah, I mean, it's over three days. Yeah, yeah. I, they might have just flown them out for one. I don't actually know that detail. That's what it felt like, though. I, it definitely wasn't that because listen, they they did a whole documentary called Hendrix at Woodstock mm. that just covered and it was like two hours on its own. It just covered the Hendrix portion. Yeah. So, so his performance was not going to be two hours, was it? There's no way. I mean, it was it was a set. It was probably about an hour. It was a full set. I mean, I'm, it's I'm a music cu- festival. I'm very curious to see how many times they perform. But again, like if you're cramming all this into a movie again and you want to also cover the event of Woodstock, like then you have like a 10 hour long movie. Right. That's that's the issue. I think you're right. I think miniseries is the way to go on this. If it were made in 2020, that it would definitely be a Netflix series. I thought it was excellent regardless, though. Yeah. Uh, I will say this. The uh, the two and three panel split screens uh, were innovative for the time and Mm -hmm. uh, went on to not only inspire documentary filmmakers, but actual filmmakers. De Palma's use of split screen, I think, is in in the debt of Woodstock. Mm -hmm. Um. A lot of it was just born out of the necessity on the parts of Schoonmaker and Scorsese. Uh, They shot all this footage. They wanted to use all of it in the film and the studio just said, fuck you. (laughs) Like you're not going to include 40 minutes of the naked children. How about just 20 minutes of the naked children? So they just stacked that footage on top of each other out of necessity just to shove Mm -hmm. as much of it into the movie as possible. And as the production process went along, they realized that they could, uh, you know, use this technique to say something about what was going on on screen. And those juxtapositions became a part of the style. And I just thought just an interesting story about how necessity breeds great art. A lot of the time usually does though. It's usually not because, Ooh, I have an innovative idea that's going to change everything. That's never how it works. And I hate it when people try to justify themselves that way. No, the innovation happens when it needs to happen. That's the point of innovation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I mean, look, I can run down a bunch of fun facts about Woodstock, but you would just be better off reading a book about Woodstock. Um, yeah. Or watching this movie, I guess. Dylan was supposed to headline it. Uh, actually, he, he, was, uh, he had taken a presidency. Him and the band had taken a presidency in the nearby town of Woodstock. Mm. And that's one of the reasons why they chose that town, uh, because it would have been convenient for Bob. And he was like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to hang out with a bunch of kids on acid with flowers in their hair. Not really <laughs> my scene. Uh, they, they would think it's his scene but i no, guess not his scene hendrix yeah. definitely his scene and i think that uh, hendrix as a closing act made a lot more sense yes yes i agree uh i'm glad you enjoyed it i i certainly did enjoy it um but man just like it's just it's do i need lot. 20 minutes of rain i get it it's raining <laughs> it's not it's not a a traditional narrative speedy thing though that's the thing it's it became very apparent to me what it was i don't know it was easy it was easy for me to take in i'm I'm glad you feel that way uh let's move on to another movie that martin scorsese worked on and i actually think that this is an interesting conversation here because eight years later he does a movie uh with the aforementioned band Mm -hmm. called uh the last waltz we got a couple of uh, a 
We got Ringo and uh, Ronnie Wood are gonna help us out on this one too. So here's the thing about the last waltz. Um, none of that filler. Just all about the music. Sometimes to like the detriment of the audience. Um, you know, there, there's sort of uh, a, a total ignorance for anybody on the other side of the stage. And it's one of the things that I actually appreciate about the movie. It is just straight into the veins, folk rock music. Yeah. Um, and that is why it is uh, among the great rock documentaries of all time. And I personally would put it in the top two. Last Waltz mm-hmm. and Stop Making Sense. Uh, Last Waltz is directed by Martin Scorsese, starring Rick Danko, Levon, he- Levon Helm, Garth Hudson, Richard Manuel, and Robbie Robertson. Featuring, of course, the music of Bob Dylan, Eric Clapton, Neil Diamond, Joni Mitchell, Van Morrison, Ringo Starr, Muddy Waters, and Neil Young. Yep. Um what do you make of the two different styles here? What what version of a concert documentary do you prefer? I don't know. I don't know if I have a preference on this one. It's it's um it's not this movie's not at all what I was expecting. I guess when I saw it, I the I had gone through a binge and I said I'm going to see every single Scorsese film, and I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know which one this is for him. Was seventy eight? Yeah, it probably would have been maybe six or seven. Yeah, yeah something like right. that. So. It would have been his follow-up. No, New York, New York would have been before it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it would have been New York, New York, Taxi Driver. Uh, mean Streets was before that. Yeah, yes. probably about six. So. But I, I I, mean, it's sort of talked about, yeah, it's like, the, you know, arguably the greatest uh, rock doc ever. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't expecting it to be as like, like, because there's, I mean, there's a lot of like, I, I think I was expecting a straightforward, it's the concert kind of a movie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had seen plenty of those at the time and I thought that they were like fine. I wasn't necessarily like captivated by them, but this one comes in and not only is it, uh, you know, taking us along for this interesting ride with the band, but <laughs> showing you like, like the people along the way in this sort of like interesting reflective journey and it's got some wonderful setup sequences of some of the songs by the band that were not filmed live they were actually like pre-planned and whatnot but they're mm-hmm. very very well done um i think there's just it's one just, i think it's the weight is performed in the sound stage right i th- no i think there's like two or three okay uh, yeah but it's but it's it's very colorful and and also quickly uh, and I, I'm not even sure I would call it hypnotic. Woodstock was more hypnotic in a way, but um, I don't know. This this is just a kind of a, a nice story that's not entirely about the band. So, yeah, uh, I wrote about this on Letterbox this week because um, I rewatched the movie, had it on in the background. Um, and first of all, like it's just it's just my music. It's just the my- music that 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 means the most to me out of all of these uh, movies. Um, Mine as well. Yeah. So like I just like listening to that uh recording um it, it is actually one of the few live albums that i i actually listen to quite often mm-hmm. um i shall be released that live finale is just incredible 
Um, so I, I wrote about this on Letterboxd, this idea that the main character in the movie is not always what the movie is about. Mm-hmm. And uh, we talk about this with the Elephant Man. Uh, John Hurt is, I guess, technically the main character, but that movie is about Anthony Hopkins. Ferris Bueller's Day Off is the famous one, of course. Like Ferris Bueller is in the title. Matthew Broderick is the lead, but it's really Alan Ruck and Cameron that is the the what that movie is about. That's the character that goes on the most complete journey. Uh, Rain Man, Tom Cruise, and Dustin Hoffman, same thing. Uh, that can be true of concert movies. And this is a movie that is ostensibly about the band. It's about their farewell performance. It's about their career, 16 years on the road. This is how far they've come. All of the interviews in the movie are conducted with the band. You expect this movie to focus on them and you expect them to be the star. Uh, But the truth is, the band is not the star of this movie. No. Star of this movie is Dylan. The star of this movie is Eric Clapton. The star of this movie is Neil Young. Star of this movie is Joni Mitchell. Every performance that these people are in, they completely steal the spotlight from the band. (laughs) Yeah, in a lot of ways. That's true. I think in every way. I like you watch them and this is the thing about the band. They began their career as Dylan's backup. Mm. Uh, it was Bob Dylan and the band. The best oh. work they ever did was in the shadow of Bob Dylan. They <laughs> they they sang Bob Dylan songs. They they played Bob Dylan records. And then they ended up breaking out because they were incredibly gifted musicians and they made it on their own. But their legacy has always been out of the spotlight, not in the spotlight. Okay. And uh that's the magic of this movie to me. The magic of this movie is the quiet confidence of the band on their final night, their final celebration, in many ways, the end of this Woodstock era of rock and roll, to take a step back mm-hmm. and say, no, actually, Dylan's the star here. And actually, <laughs> Joni Mitchell is the star here. And actually, Neil Diamond is the star here. And Van Morrison is the star here. Yeah. You know what I mean? The rock and roll is the star here. The genre is the star. So the band is this really interesting case study, and there's not a lot of groups like this in the history of music defined by their inconspicuousness. Um, They're sort of the Swiss army knife. They've always been around. They can be, uh, they can complement a number of diverse acts. And in the case of this movie, Muddy Waters and, and Neil Young are side by side and the band work as the, the backing group for both of them. Um, The movie takes on this whole greater meaning. And, and that's like a a sort of magic that you can't just capture. um, you, You can't manufacture it. You have to sort of capture it by accident. It's this magical moment of all of these great musicians uniting for one final farewell, saying this is the end of the Woodstock era. Punk is on its way. We are a a relic of the past, but you know what? We're going to go out just blaring. We're going to go out with this incredibly beautiful number. Um, And, uh, you know, I think it's just that intangible quality. It's something that, like, I'm not even sure it was intentional. I'm not sure Scorsese could have manufactured it in a lab well, as great of a director as he ever as he is. Um, you know, it, it's just a magical moment for music. So this yeah. movie is about the band, but it's not really about the band. It's about something much greater, and that's what I love so much about it. Yeah, I mean, it's more like you said. You've you sort of said everything. <laughs> it's it's about well, it's about everybody. That's the thing. Right. That, that's a point. Like it is about the band, but it's definitely not just about the band. That's the important point that you're that you're you're getting to. Yeah. And I, 
Yeah, it's but that's what I was saying where I said it's just a nice story because it's very you know it's called the last waltz. It's very much like that 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 farewell to all these people. But to see it sort of immortalized here is just really really sweet to to look at and to see like you said the band give the reins to everybody else to just you know you know celebrate who they are and what they were and what they've become is just it's it's the best kind of goodbye I think I've ever seen mm-hmm. you know and it, I you know I. I guess the entire movie for me works on that level. When I think of the movie, that's, you know, what comes to mind. I don't like, it's not my favorite Scorsese film. I wouldn't even put it in my top five or anything. Well, that's kind of a stacked list, I would say. I'm not even sure if it gets in my top 10. How about that? Again, yeah. Yeah. No one can fault you. (laughs) Yeah. But it's, but in the realm of like concert films, there is just so much heart here mm-hmm. in ways that those other ones you know just never really had not even Woodstock because again Woodstock is going for something quite different this one you know like you said is very enamored by these people and just feels like it, it, it it's the film is being used as a means to give them their proper fare, farewell yes. and it's just as much directed by the band in my opinion as it is Scorsese mm-hmm. you know as it is same with all the other people who go on stage you know yeah it, it's a it's really incredible story you can feel Scorsese's passion, though, for rock and roll during this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Scorsese has done a number of rock docs. He's done two Dylan documentaries. He's done a Rolling Stones documentary. Um, he's done this and, uh, you know, did episodes of Vinyl, a show mm. about rock and roll. Like, rock has always been uh, a very important theme for Marty. And you can feel that in this. He actually directed this movie for free. Did not take a salary. For really? Oh, that's yeah. interesting. Well, it's, fu- it's funny. They got him because... Um, um, they were saying that, yeah, we were looking for someone who feels like they understand like, like c- cinema in a much more rhythmic way. Mm-hmm. And when we saw things like, you know, Mean Streets and Taxi Driver, we, c- we kind of got the sense that Marty like was in, in touch with film more musically than like anyone else working. And it's it's such a brilliant choice, right? I, I think like Dango actually saw Woodstock, and that's one of the reasons why he really he Marty, okay. yeah, because of his work on Woodstock. Interesting. Um, yeah, it, it's a perfect choice, and you know, you just feel it when he's. There are few scenes. There's not many scenes of the the you know uh, the interview stuff. Um, Marty's on screen, and he's just beaming with joy as yeah. he's talking to these guys and he's such a fan. You can tell he's such a fan. That's one of the things I love about Marty so much is he approaches all of these documentaries as a fan. This dude is obsessed with Bob Dylan. You know what I yeah. mean? This, this dude is obsessed with Mick Jagger. This dude is obsessed <laughs> with the band. And like, that's the type of director I want to see make a movie like this. Not someone that's sure. removed that wants to sort of bring their own style and sensibility. He comes to the material. The material doesn't come to him. Um, mm-hmm. And that is, I think, the measure of a great documentarian is one that doesn't insert themselves too much into the story. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I think that's why it's top two in my opinion. Um, I I do have a a number of fun facts for you. Uh, the uh, audience beforehand, this of course was filmed on Thanksgiving day, 1976. Um, the entire audience was served turkey dinners before the show started. (laughs) Really? 5,000 turkey dinners. Okay. <laughs> We're handed out. Um, evidently, cocaine was used heavily on the set of this film. Go Marty figure. is very uh, honest about that. I'll tell you what. Interesting little anecdote. I'm watching this movie. I've seen it a couple times. It's on Netflix. You can stream it on Netflix if you're so inclined. Um, I get to the Neil Young performance. <laughs> yep. And I'm watching it. 
and I just see like a booger hanging out of his nose. And it's like a very prominent booger. And I'm yeah. like, oh, Neil, I know you have like a harmonica over around your neck and you're you're strumming a guitar, but like just wipe away that booger, my guy. Turns out, no, that's Coke. Ah, because I, I was watching it and kind of thinking the same thing because I looked at him like this dude looks as confused and as acting as bizarre as Neil Young ever does. He's a <laughs> fucking weird guy. Yes, he um, is. And then it's like, oh, yeah, he's just coked out, as they all are. <laughs> right. Uh, a lot of it was actually airbrushed in the editing process. Really? Yeah, because the, apparently there was a ton of coke just smudged on his face. That's too funny. Yeah, pretty good. Uh, another thing I noticed, um, the, again, this is only something you pick up on like the third or fourth time, but the, um, the interviews are a lot quieter than the musical numbers. Mm. Like At first, I'm like, oh, the sound mixing is really bad. Like I have to keep turning the volume on my TV up and down because like the numbers, the musical numbers are blaring and then I can barely understand what Rick Danko is saying. And then I realized, oh, this is intentional because there's a cue card at the beginning of the movie that says this film should be played loud. Mm. And I think like one of the reasons that they mixed it that way is that Marty was daring you to turn the volume up on your TV. (laughs) You know, like he wanted the number, the, the interviews to be so soft that you would be forced to listen to the musical numbers as loud as possible clever bastard (laughs) i think it's like super clever uh that's a cue card at the beginning of it a lot of great shots in the movie Joni mitchell in silhouette off stage Mm. as i think neil diamond is performing i can't remember it might have been van morrison actually um but she's just in silhouette and there's this beautiful blue light in the background it's just classic marty stuff oh yeah um and uh yeah uh, the dylan of it all he he appears twice in this movie two performances uh, actually, three performances. He does uh, Forever Young, uh, does Baby Let Me Follow You Down, and then, it, of course, leads the final number, I Shall Be Released. Uh, Fifteen minutes before he was due on stage, he decided he didn't want to be in the movie. Dylan? Yeah. Really? Fifteen minutes ahead of time. goes, yeah, I don't want to be in the movie uh, because I have this other movie called Ronaldo and Clara coming out, which is also a concert film, which was also incidentally enough repurposed as parts of rolling thunder review sorry for my nerdisms here uh but it was coming out in theaters did not want this movie to compete with that movie uh the promoter at the time was like all right fine bob just like go on stage and we won't film you wink wink nudge nudge and so marty's like i don't know what to shoot now because i'm not allowed to shoot dylan so like what should i be filming and the promoter walks up to him and goes you two are from the same neighborhood in New York. Just shoot him. He'll understand. And so... ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh. That footage was not sanctioned at the time, but ultimately used and is an iconic part of film history. Wonderful. Well, that's sweet. <laughs> I love the behind-the-scenes stuff like that, where it just comes down to like personal stuff like that. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, what else do you want to say? I feel like I've exhausted every fiber of my brain. <laughs> I don't really have much after that. Okay. <laughs> it's it's a movie I uh, I I really like. I I'm yeah, I it's not yeah. I really really like. It. I don't I didn't have as much to say about this one and I don't really know why. I feel like I've said enough. And I think a lot of like what I would have said, I think he pretty much covered. Okay. So. Yeah. It's good. It's very guys, good. Very I, good. I really like Bob Dylan. I don't know if yeah. you can tell. Um I know. So anytime he's involved in anything, like it just uh it gets me going. I know. All right. I'm done nerding out. I'm going to let you nerd out now. Oh, oh. I'm passing the baton. 
Hell yeah. For a movie that I watched for the first time this week. Uh, somehow, someway, I have not seen it uh, until this week. <laughs> and it's starring David Byrne and the Talking Heads, directed by Jonathan Demme. And of course, it's called Stop Making Sense. Hi. I got a tape I want to play. You love the Talking Heads. You fucking love the Talking Heads. <laughs> one of your favorite bands ever, David Byrne. One of your favorite yep. artists ever. Yes, yes, that's very important. Talk to me about <sighs> Stop Making Sense. Oh God, uh, I saw this film. I when the hell did I see this film? I think it was last year, like at the beginning of last year. You told me about I, it when you watched it. Yeah. Oh God, I was like jazzed. Um. Because it was like at the height of my uh, Talking Heads like like fandom love, and I'd listen to everything that they'd put out, and this is like the last thing on the agenda for me. I'd even watched you know True Stories, which I brought up with you, and we actually covered it on Why Is This a Thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw the movie, and it was like like unlike anything I've ever experienced in my life. I described it as the most fun I've ever had watching a movie since fury road which to me puts it in like number three or number two most fun movie experiences i've ever had Mm -hmm. and i watched it again and that has not waned at all i mean this film is (laughs) this film's a fucking masterpiece (laughs) i fucking love this movie um and it's very interesting because uh i I, I'm not sure. Again, I had only seen a handful of concert films. I think like the most noteworthy one I had seen prior to this was The Last Waltz. And I really liked The Last Waltz, of course. But man, this was just something else altogether. I was just like, like you know, hit with, you know, so much like rejuvenating water. It was incredible. Um, this film makes me dance literally. <laughs> I like start moving when I when I watch this movie. Mm. You know, I can't help myself. I love I love the music so much. Well, I you love- dance a lot like David Byrne, I would say. It's, I think you're exactly right about yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I watched the movie and a, and a lot of his performance too. I see a lot of myself in that and the music of, of course, and being as zany and quirky and eccentric as it is. But like, I have a lot of thoughts on this, but I mean, it's a live event, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, everything, there's a, there's a real crowd. It's all, you know, they're all, they're performing, you know, that's what it, it is a concert film in the strictest sense, only about the concert. Right. Essentially. Yeah. But like, it is the most cinematic concert film I've ever seen in my life. Right. And it's not even close. Um, what did I actually say when I, cause I, I gave a brief review of this movie, but I, it was quite like like intense in terms of like my favoritism towards it because <laughs> I said, yeah, I, I mean, part, one of the things you, you have to understand is that like, I don't expect everyone going into this movie, loving everything that David Byrne is doing. It's right. very much for a specific person. Um, if you love it outright, that's, that's awesome. I'm the mm-hmm. kind of person who just loves it immediately. But like, 
I watched the film and I'm like, this is like kind of crazy and cerebral and goofy at times, but it's one of the most infectiously enjoyable films I've ever seen. That's what I described it as. Yeah. It's you, you'll, you'll watch it and you'll think it's odd. And then as the movie goes along and you, the, your laughs go from, Oh, what he's doing is funny to your laughs are out of sheer enjoyment. Mm. It's like, this shit is just, it, you, you, you can't get rid of it and you can't, it, it, it's impossible for it not to work on you mm-hmm. in my opinion. And you, you, you just kind of leave the film. Like I am just like, like more alive than I've ever been. I said it was an incredible, it's an incredible work of editing, but it's also like one of Jordan Cronenworth's best works next to Blade Runner. Yes. Um, it's also, um, I think it's the best concert film I've ever seen. It also is, I'm sorry to say it, Nico. It is my favorite Jonathan Demay film. Yeah, you, you, you said you said that to me in text. Um, and look, uh, that's a that's a totally fine opinion. I you know I I disagree, but whatever. Um, yeah, Here, here's what I'll say. Um, this is David Burns' movie. More so, yeah. It, it's it, it. Okay, a part of it is Jonathan Demby's movie. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure he had a lot to do with it. And I'm sure like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. he had a hand in the choreography and he had a hand in the cinematography and sure. Um, this is David Burns one act or one man play. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like this is David Byrne had an idea for a live concert and he hired Demi to film it. And mm-hmm. Demi is doing a great job behind the camera, but he is a hired hand. This is yes. ev- everything going on on screen is in service of David Burns vision from yeah. what the, 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 the backup singers are doing to what the drummer is doing to what the bassist and the guitar player are doing to, to the scenery, to the, the, the ever evolving sets. Mm-hmm. It's all burn all the time. And so your <laughs> mileage may vary on that. I am not the biggest talking heads fan. I'm just like not a big fan of that era of rock. Um, the whole post-punk thing is not really my jam. I know the hits. I like the hits. This must be the place is awesome. That's, I think my favorite talking head song. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just not as, as big a talking heads enthusiast as you. So, you know, maybe I'm a little bit at, uh, at a distance there. Uh, this is interesting. You talk about the nature of concert films and how this mm. is strictly a concert film. This is about a concert it is nothing but the concert. There is not only an indifference to the audience, there is just no attention paid to the audience. I think there's like one shot in the movie that features the audience. It's like, but it's right at the end and very appropriately so. It's right. like, essentially turns to the audience right at the climax, like right when the movie's like expecting even those watching from their TVs to start like moving and dancing. And it right. turns to the audience realizing that they're doing exactly that. So it just kind of celebrates it with them in that moment. It's like the perfect time to turn to the audience if it was ever going to do it. Right. So that's why I said that it's more of a theatrical production than it is a concert. Um, and uh, let me put it this way. And maybe this is uh, this is not specific enough. It's the type of movie that you make when you want to make the greatest concert film of all time. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like when you set out saying, I want to blow the world away with my concert film, this is what it is. There is no spontaneity to it whatsoever. There is no improvisation. There is no sense of the atmosphere or the live music event. And that's why I say it works better as a film. I I said that earlier in the podcast. This works better as a film than it does a live event. You Mm -hmm. don't get the same experience going to this show. Um, 
And in fact, this is the result of four separate concerts filmed over four separate nights. This is not a single event. And if I were to nitpick the movie at all, this is the exact opposite problem that Woodstock has. Woodstock Mm. is almost too in love with the audience, and this one has no awareness for the audience whatsoever. Woodstock (laughs) is too spontaneous, is too improvised, is too in the moment, and Talking Heads is, or Stop Making Sense is just totally out of time. Um, I understand why they did it. Uh, (laughs) Like, I'm watching that opening number, and, uh, or the opening scene, rather, where David Byrne walks out of the doorway and the, the light is is seeping onto the stage and they cut from when he's at the beginning of the set he puts the boom box down and you get like a front shot of him and then they cut to the back of the stage and you get him from behind and i'm like how the fuck did they get that shot and turns out it's because they filmed it over four separate days those are separate takes yeah um so like i get it all of this was made with the conventions of movie making in mind yeah that being said adam uh god damn is it a great movie mm. it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a, a great movie i have never seen a concert documentary or any concert period live filmed or otherwise yep where there was a narrative in mind on yeah. the part of the performer <laughs> essentially yeah holy crap like yeah. everything from the costuming to the sets to the slowly unveiling each musician, first the bassist comes out, then the guitar player comes out, then the drummer finally comes in like a half hour into the movie. Yep. And then you pull away more of the artifices and there are backup singers and there are dancers and yep. the wardrobe. David Byrne wears that iconic large suit that makes his <laughs> head look small. But like what an appropriate uh, you know, idea that at first he's a, a man that doesn't feel comfortable in his own skin. He's he's wearing a monkey suit essentially. Um, yeah. He's stiff. His movement is confined to just a, a small area of the space, uh, the stage. And as he's joined by these musicians uh, and they begin collaborating with each other, he learns to accept it and dance fully and without, you know, with reckless abandon. Uh, and like, what an awesome little narrative that is about mm-hmm. like how you learn to be comfortable in your own skin and to let loose and the sure. power of music and the power of community and the power of a band. Yep. Fucking awesome, just, man. I thought it was like one of the greatest like expressions of the human spirit I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I, 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 I'm not kidding. There's, there's very few movies that make me feel as alive as this one. And it's, it's certainly expressed through the progression of David Byrne's if, character, if you want to call him that, throughout the movie. Right. Because like, like, like you said, the progression of where he starts at the beginning versus where he is at the end, you know, just running around the stage uncontrollably, mm-hmm. literally, is, is incredible. It's just, yes, you're right that it's like very, very set up and obviously choreographed and there's a lot of time and attention given to it. It's not entirely um, um, like, it's not like, it's not like a dance in the sense that like every single movement is perfectly choreographed. There are many instances where like, like Chris Franz or, or, or Jerry Harrison is just like fucking around with the dancers. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of that. There's a lot of like good stuff, like interwoven throughout. It's just like the big swings of like moving the sets or the costumes and whatnot. And the lighting, especially, yes. Oh my God, the lighting is just very, very, very planned. The, but the, that being the lighting said during this must be the place is like, Oh the Godfather dude. Oh, it's great. Isn't it's it? Like, it's like Gordon Willis shot this shit. It's incredible. Yeah. yeah it's like, it's, it's very, very it's just this really awesome craft that's you never would have thought would have worked in a concert 
like environment, but it does. It's just like one lamp in that scene. Yeah. And I just think it's beautiful and so smart and so like laid back, but perfect for that song. Mm-hmm. It's just like very, very minimal. And um, the, the, the movie is, is <laughs> it's so weird to say, but it's, the movie like cuts out all the bullshit as well, you know, in terms of like the, the production. It no every single piece is like perfectly implemented here. Mm-hmm. But um I would like to say that this is what I was talking about. The live performances here are better than most of the songs on their studio albums. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, their version of Burning Down the House is here is so much better than the actual one that you'd get off of the record. It's not even remote. Like I can't listen to the one off of the out of the actual studio album. Same with like uh, um, making Flippy Floppy or making or um, uh, what was another one that I oh um, L- Life After Wartime is so much better. I uh-huh. think um, this must be the place. This live version is actually more enjoyable. I really mm. do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. That that's fair. I, I mean, I don't really again think of it as like an incredible musical achievement. I think of it as like an incredible theatrical achievement, an incredible film achievement. I'd, I'd have to go back, I guess, and listen to That's those a, albums. What's the difference is my question. Well, I guess maybe, yeah, I guess there isn't a difference. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I could listen to this and get the same effect. Um, if you were there, you would certainly, it. Oh, you, you mean like listening to it like on your iPod or something? Yeah. Or I mean like the yeah. last waltz concert album is an incredible album just because like there are, there are elements of the live performance that are unique to that one performance. Um, Again, there is something stagey about it. And I, and I don't mean that disparagingly. I just think like, that's just a matter of taste. Um, I think in this case, theatrical, right. A movie like stop making sense only works because it's theatrical and a movie like the last waltz only works because it's not theatrical. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's no right or wrong way to do it. I just think like in terms of taste, this is not the type of music nor uh, live concert experience that I vibe with. That being said, I was totally in awe of the production and totally in awe of Burns' vision. And oh yeah, I mean the craft here is just perfect. And mm-hmm. yeah, I've never seen anything like it, and I doubt that I will ever see anything like it ever again. Yeah, I mean, and that's that. Yeah, it's it's Jesus. I mean, that's all I ever look for in any kind of movie is to have something that is just like you know indistinguishable. Mm-hmm. You know, there are elements of the last waltz that do remind me of Gimme Shelter in a yeah. way. That's yeah. certainly true. Yeah, there's nothing else like Stop Making Sense, though. And that's a, and the thing is, like, if you do listen to the actual album, like there are plenty of elements to the, the live performance that are there. The audience definitely has their own input. Okay. That's the thing. You could have gone and I actually have friends who have seen this actual concert live. Oh, know? is that right? Yeah, yeah. One of my good friends who's, yeah, I mean, older, you know, I, I, I'm good friends with her kids, but okay. yeah, she saw this, uh, yeah, back when it was actually uh, coming out and got tickets to it and everything. Yeah. Oh, oh that's Yeah, awesome. it's just like, it's just like split up, but you know, it's still, it's still a live concert. It's just, you know, very, very much like, like, like practiced, which yeah. is not a bad thing. I mean, every artist to a degree will practice and do like sound and some recordings beforehand. I mean, James Taylor at um, Tanglewood did kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of like pre-process before he actually went on and, and did his thing. It's just this one is done to the optimal degree, right? Like to the highest effect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, and this gets into sort of a more philosophical conversation about the nature yeah. of art, but I mean, unless you're doing improv comedy, even if you are doing improv comedy, there's an element of rehearsal that comes into it. There's an oh, yeah. element of preparation. Um, yeah. And the thing about art is that it can uh, fool you into thinking that you're watching something real, but ultimately it's all a performance. 
Mm-hmm. And there, there's a lot of work that goes into what you actually see, even in the case of a spontaneous documentary like Woodstock. I mean, they're, they're still oh, doing yeah. blocking. You know what I mean? Like they, they still have a sense of what they're going to shoot. It just wasn't a guy with a camcorder walking around <laughs> Woodstock just filming naked people. I mean, there, there, there is an artifice there that is sometimes yeah. hard to detect. And, um, you know, sometimes it's better when you're just honest about it. Like mm-hmm. sometimes if you're David Byrne, you say, yeah, I choreographed this whole thing and this is meant to be a work of theater and I made this like I would make any other movie. You maybe respect that than something that's, you know, lying to you and saying, oh, this is all real and raw and cinema verite, you know? No. Yeah. I was going to say, like, in the terms of like just for any concert, even with something like Woodstock, the fact that there is a lineup, right. you know? There was a piece of paper that said, you go on at this time, you go on at this time, you go on at this time, and you have from now until then to get your sound right and or so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Now, that's sort of evidence of that just in and of itself. It's just that, da- like you said, David Byrne was more honest about it and just mm-hmm. said, like, I'm, I'm going to put on a performance. I'm going to put on, like, the greatest live performance you've ever seen, that kind of stuff. You know? yeah. And not just with what I'm specifically doing on stage, but what I have created with the stage itself, with like the whole, I guess, mise-en-scene, if you want to get nerdy-nerdy about it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, you know, everything nerdy about on it this t- podcast? Whatever. See, I feel like we've been pretty mainstream up until this point. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> I said mise-en-scene. I feel like we've talked yeah. in really layman's terms as oh, I yeah. use the term cinema verite. Oh, yeah. <laughs> cinema verite. Fuck you. I don't even think I use cinema verite. I don't th- I'm not one of those guys who uses that term. Yeah. But... <laughs> But yes, everything about the, this film is just realized to to, to 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 such a wonderful degree, and I, I can't get enough of it. And I, I mean, yeah, I honestly, I don't. Eh. Next to all these other ones, I just think they all pale, pale in comparison. <laughs> I, I really do believe that. Uh, you can stream "Stop Making Sense" on Amazon Prime if you are so inclined. Um, and I will say, yeah, despite all of the nits that I just picked. Uh, we can talk about it till the cows come home, but yeah, I think I agree with you. I, I don't think that any concert documentary has come close. Uh, mm-hmm. The Last Waltz is the only thing I would put up there. Yeah. Um, and although that movie, I think, ha- has a fonder place in my heart, I don't think as a film it matches what Demi and Byrne do here. No, no. So I think we're in agreement that Stop Making Sense has just earned a spot in the Movie Hall of Fame. Awesome. <laughs> How about that? David Byrne, <laughs> he's in. How he's about in. It? I mean, we Jonathan De- uh, Demi, he's been in, right? Yeah, we got him in. Yes. But you know okay. who else has been in a lot? Martin Scorsese. <laughs> yeah, we can go easy on that. <laughs> no more Marty. We're done with you. Fuck you, Marty. Watch Dave more Chappelle not in, not in the uh, movie Hall of Fame yet. <laughs> no. <laughs> Will he ever get in? Uh, There's no way. What are we going to induct? Half-baked? <laughs> yeah, probably not. <laughs> Undercover brother? <laughs> 99 cigarettes? Oh, God. Or 200 cigarettes? 200 rather? cigarettes. 200 cigarettes. Best movie ever. Yeah. yeah. I had... I, it's, <laughs> I'm very happy that this one... Because I was like... When we were going through them, I'm like... I mean, unless the other movies I see, like, like absolutely, like, just destroy me, there's no way any one of them is going to beat out Stop Making Sense. It's just that good. Sounds like Woodstock came close for you, though. It was great. Yeah, uh, it's not. No, it's not that close. 
I really like the movie. It's not that close. Okay. There it is. This was a yeah. fun podcast. Yeah. We got to talk about music. I enjoyed that quite a bit. Me too. <laughs> um, what are we doing next week? I don't know. I'd like to do uh, a year where I, we don't have to watch as much stuff. I saw so much shit, dude. I watched so many things. It's just I like, oh, I need a, I'm week. at that point now where I need another break. Um, okay. Maybe we can, we can talk off there then if you want to. Yeah, we might have to do that. Okay. I had this idea that maybe we could do a month of directors. Okay. I wouldn't mind doing that because Spike's got a new movie coming out. Oh, really? Defy Bloods on, uh, on Netflix. So I, I want to do the spike week in a couple of weeks. Wa- we could just do that next if you want. Well, I, I want to kind of line it up with that movie though. All right. So all we right. can lump well, it into one. And so I don't know if we had any other, I know we talked about, uh, uh, maybe Orson Welles. We're not doing Wes Anderson. Don't smile at me. Wipe that stupid fucking smirk off your face. What's the point of doing a week, a whole month of directors if we're not going to do Wes Anderson? How about we do Bong next week? Okay. You got a lot of movies to watch. That's okay. <laughs> All right. We should do Refn. <laughs> no, we don't need to do Refn. There are some Refn movies you need to see. We don't need to induct a Refn movie into the Hall sure of Fame, man. He's got one movie that's very important. I mean, Pusher is incredibly influential for, for uh, you know, basically the entire Danish cinema scene, which is very popular. So, Can we just do Bong? Can we do Refn at some point? <laughs> and just, we'll, indu- we'll just induct Drive and that'll be that. <laughs> <sighs> right, we'll I'm down to do Bong. Don't get me wrong. But you, like, I thought I'd- Billy Wilder might be a fun one too. I don't know. I had to, I had Billy a Wilder. No. Why? Maybe eventually. That's not an exciting podcast. We don't talk, I, I want to pick a director that we don't talk about enough. We talk about Refn fucking all the time. Dude. We In don't passing. talk. No, no. Stop it. We do not talk about Refn. All we say is, I like Refn. Fuck Refn. Okay, we bicker about Refn. Yeah, yes. but okay. I don't need to explore that any further. I you know what I mean? <laughs> I need you to watch the first two Pusher films, Bronson, you've seen Drive, and the only other one I would nominate is um, uh, uh, The Neon Demon. I have an idea. What? Let's, let's make a poll. <laughs> <laughs> let's make a poll, and here, here we go. We'll promote the Discord. So oh if boy. you want a voting share, if you want to decide what director we do next, go to the Discord, toomanythoughtsmedia.com or tmt.media for short. We've already got 30 loyal listeners in the Discord. You know who's not in the Discord? Adam Ooh. fucking Hall. Adam oh, Hall's not in the Discord. All of our listeners are there, and they're, they're chatting with us on a daily basis, and they're having a great time, and you think you're better than it all. Do they want to talk to me? Are you a man of the people, or are you not, man? Are you sitting in your ivory tower, recording your podcast in that made-up town of Harwinton? Hmm. Get with the people, man. That's what the lo- people want. I like sticking to myself and being a recluse. I don't want to be, you know, I don't, I don't want to be at all. Like, I don't know. I'd rather not be uh, Javier Bardem and mother, you know, hang. That doesn't sound like fun. Hang with peeps. TMT.media, too many thoughts, media.com. Click on the little link on the sidebar that says join our discord and join the other 30 loyal patrons of this show. You hippie. That's what you are hanging out with all these people being communal <laughs> i love our listeners i don't know about you I, but, <laughs> but i love you very much i love our listeners too i just like to fuck around 
So let's put a poll up and then okay. they'll decide the next director we do. Bong or Refn? Or how many are we putting up? I don't know. We'll, th- we'll think about it. I say we put up Wes Anderson too. I'm not putting... No! No! We could just... It's going to come up again, you know. It's going to keep happening until you're just leveled into the ground. We could get it out of the way. Just do Wes Anderson. Never talk about it ever again. That's a pro- that's a that's that's an option. Vote in the poll, people. Okay. <laughs> I love you very much. How can they follow you on Twitter, Adam? On Twitter, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm I'm at some Adam Hall. And oh, I'm at that's Tony it. Nico tweets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's very lo- easy, people. Yeah. I love you. We'll see you yeah. next time. And until then. Huh. <sighs> Happy movie hopping. Fucking sing a song, you bitch. (laughs) You coward. Sing a song. Sing a song, for God's sake. I have to say, we didn't discuss this. You sing a song. (laughs) Burning down the house. (laughs) Burning down the house. There you go.